Let's take our Bibles this morning and let's turn to Colossians. I'll be uh, preaching this message and next week in Colossians, and then I'll be finished with Colossians. And then I plan on going because Colossians is connected to Philemon to do Philemon, just a few messages there. And then my plan is to go to Revelation and do Revelation. Been a long time I've done that, but there's a lot of questions today about it, and uh, and we notice in our membership applications that people don't know anything about eschatology, and so uh, and that's understandable. If you never heard it, then how could you know, right? And so that's my plan. And then Pastor Dave will continue to do the Gospel of John uh, in and out, and uh, so both written by John Revelation and and gospel. So let's, let's pray and we'll look at Colossians. Lord, this morning, as we get into your word, and Lord, as we look at what it says in the, in the final greetings of, uh, of Paul to the church at Colossians, uh, at Colossae, I pray, Lord, that you would just uh, allow us to see ourselves in some of these people and that we would realize that all of us all of us, everyone who's called in the name of Jesus Christ, we are all to participate in the gospel mission. That there's no one who can sit on the pew, sit in the pews and just fold their arms. There's no one who is in the stands. We're all in, in the game. And so I pray, Lord, that you would always make it clear to us where in the part of that mission do we function the best. And I pray, Lord, that you would make us those people that have the character and conduct that can be able to be used by the Spirit of God. And I pray this this morning, asking you to, to help us and guide us, give us clarity in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to look at Colossians chapter 4, verse 7 through 11, but let me just back up a little bit. I've been saying that a spirit-filled, word-filled Christian will begin to see the transformational power of the gospel in each part of their experience as they journey through this world with its ups and downs, its ins and outs. And as they see that transformation, they will realize the only reason why they have a transformation is because they have believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God now indwells them, and he is gradually making them into Christ. He's gradually making the, them into the image of Christ. And it starts the instant we are justified, and it's not complete, of course, until we get to glory. So this gospel transformation is revealed in, in our conduct. It's revealed in, in character. It's revealed in our putting off sin, putting on righteousness. Uh, it shows us that we're putting off our dirty clothes. We're putting on the clothes of rede redeemed children. And, of course, it's revealed in our relationships, in our everyday walk, in marriages between wives and husbands, in families between children and parents and fathers and children, in our conduct and in our speech. And we notice it in how what we are now devoted to, how we use our time and opportunities, and how we see and consider one another. So this Lord's Day 
We will see the transformation of the gospel in the Christian's duty and performance, and that is that the faithful group participation of the saints to the gospel mission. No one could do this work alone. Not, no one can. And that's really what Paul brings out in these, this last section of Colossians. He, he had to depend on a lot of people to make sure everything got done. And, but what kind of people? There were certain kind of people that he used. All right, Not perfect. None of these people are perfect. But he used them. So we see that the gospel was never meant to stay in one place or to, to be confined. And it's because the gospel of Jesus Christ is a message that is to be sent out and to be sent out by people. So that means the faithfulness of the gospel, the advancement of the gospel is always maintained. That the letter of the Colossians was read publicly in order to have an impact beyond its immediate audience, like it says in verse 16 of chapter 4, when this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And for you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. So there's an interaction between churches to advance the message and to advance the growth of those people who participate in the gospel. Even Paul, the Apostle Paul's chains and imprisonment, which he's writing this epistle from, he's in jail for the gospel, he's doing it all for the sake of the gospel. As he says in chapter 1, verse 24, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. So Paul is doing this for the sake of the advancement of the gospel. And then he, of course, ends the epistle in verse 18, chapter 4. He says, remember my imprisonment. So remember that the apostle Paul was apprehended in Jerusalem and brought to Rome while he was imprisoned in Rome. He was allowed to live by himself with minimal soldiers guarding him. In fact, Paul was able to receive visitors while he was in Rome. He was able to teach and preach the gospel while he was in Rome and in jail. And he wrote four letters to the churches while in Rome, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. So Rome is also, of course, where Paul's mission ended. And he was beheaded as a martyr in Rome. When God was done with him, that was it, right? But he used Paul to the fullest, right? And we would think that someone in jail couldn't do anything. But that's not the case. Matter of fact, in that prison cell, in that jail cell, he was protected by guards. All right? He was given food. He was given visitors. It was, like a, uh, it was almost like a, a uh, not, not an apartment like we would see today, but a place where he can do his work and he can minister and use his gifts to advance the gospel. And that's what God has intended. All right? Remember when Paul went before some of the people and he was tried, they said, listen, if he didn't appeal to Caesar in Rome, he'd be a free man. But it was God's will that he would go to Rome. And the reason why is because Paul would do his most important work there. And so in the closing greetings here in Colossians, Paul mentions 10 people who were in their own right faithful participants to the gospel mission. 
And this means that the church, the body of Christ, each individual believer who is, who is indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God is called to carry out the unfinished work of Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus didn't finish the work. Paul didn't finish the work. In fact, today this work is still not done. People are still getting saved. The gospel is still going out all over the world. So believers are continuers of Christ's work. Now, there's a, there's a lot of material available on motivation to get started, creative ways to spark initiative. But what about the material about continuing and sticking with something until it's done? You know, hanging tough when the excitement and fun has faded into discipline and guts. That's the kind of believers we actually need. Not losing heart, even though the project lost some of its appeal. And people dropped off that you originally started with. It was a, a book that was written by Eugene Peterson, who the name of the book was Obedience in the, in the Same Direction. He, he, he commented in that book, our attention span has been conditioned by 30-second sound bites, that our sense of reality has been flattened to 30-page abridgments. It's not difficult in such a world to get a person interested in the message of the gospel. It is terribly difficult to sustain that interest. Millions of people in our culture make decisions for Christ, but there is a dreadful attrition rate. In our kind of culture, anything, even news about God, can be sold uh, and packaged in the right, in a fresh way. But when it loses its novelty, it goes on the garbage heap just like everything else. There is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue little inclination to sign up for the long apprenticeship in what earlier generational uh, Christians called holiness, godliness. It takes a long time for the Spirit of God to make us holy. It is a long-distance run. It's not a short sprint. That's the Christian life, right? And it's got its ups and downs. So today... Let's understand that we are continuers for Christ, that all Christians should check their priorities and tighten down the hatch for the long haul. And we do that together, not alone, together. And for sure, we can have a lot of meaningful experiences serving the Lord Jesus Christ together as we already have in the process of God moving us from uh, in levels of spiritual growth and interacting with people, sharing the gospel, discipling people, all those things are very meaningful and very helpful and advance the church. So in this end greeting, it shows the interdependence of believers, insufficient in themselves, but as a body, as the body of Christ, they become holy, without blemish and blameless before Christ and a formidable, steadfast force for gospel expansion. Now, 
if you just go back to chapter 1 for a minute, look at verse 21 through 23. I want to show you something in that passage. Colossians 1, verse 21, it says, Although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless beyond reproach. Then notice verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. So human insufficiency is acknowledged alongside of the all-sufficiency of Christ. We all participate in the gospel mission. Are you doing that? So we're presented this morning with living examples. And these living examples are models for all believers to follow. All kinds of different people here. And you will see that the, the character of these Christians are noteworthy. They are people from all walks of life, but they should be people that we model ourselves after. And the question that we can ask ourselves as we think of these groups of people, could such things be said of me that are said about these gospel participants? That's what we want to ask ourselves. Well, let's, let me just give you where I'm going, and then we'll get down to the details here. This is what we're going to see. We're going to see two letter carriers. I call them the information squad. Then we see two Jewish supporters. I call them the encouragement squad. Then we're going to see three Gentile co-workers. I call them the war warrior squad. And then we're going to see two local Christians. And I call them the hosp hospitality future ministry squad. Now, the, today we're just going to be looking at the first two groups and that, of course, the first group and is going to be um, that of the letter-carrying squad or the information squad. And so I want you to notice in chapter 4, verse number 7, it says this. These are, this is the first letter-carrier, and this is uh, Tychicus. Now, some people have, have pronounced it Tychicus. But uh, I went to the Greek and I said, listen, the only way I'm going to figure out how to pronounce this name is how the Greek actually pronounces it. And, uh, and of course, it's Tychicus. And this person was Paul's partner on his third missionary journey. And he was a native of Rome in the province of Asia. And when Paul left Ephesus, he was accompanied by seven other believers among them, Tychicus, and it says back in uh, Acts chapter 20, and he was accompanied by um, Sopater, Aristarchus, Scundus, Gaius, Timothy, Tychicus, and then one other man. So these men, what they were doing back then is they were helping Paul deliver the love offering from the Gentile churches to the poor saints in Judea. Eventually, Tychicus shared Paul's imprisonment and was a great help to him 
in many ways. Now, if somebody's going to bring information to you, especially during these days, now information today, we know we have overload information. And the information, how do you know the information you get when you read here and there on different media sites is actually true. It's very hard to actually find out, is this true or not? Because people don't even document what they even say today. So when information is going to come to somebody, you have to have someone who has a great character, someone who is strong, who's a leader, who's going to carry out the mission. And this is the mission that Paul gave to him, that was to carry this letter to the church at Ephesus and to the church at Colossae. All right, and, but notice what it says here about his character, Colossians chapter 4, verse number 7. It says, as to all my affairs, now that's Paul's affairs, to Caicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant of the Lord, will bring you information. So that's what, he, that, what, that's what his job is, is to bring information. But why would you pile up the character qualities? Well, because the people who are receiving what he has, the information that he has, they have to know it's not disinformation, right? That it's not fake news, but it's accurate truth about Paul's ministry. So... The people know how to pray for him and meet his needs. That's why the information is so important. But look what it says about him, his character. Our beloved brother. Now, why is he a beloved brother? Because he was connected to this new family because of his faith in Jesus Christ. He was the kind of brother in Christ who was willing to stay with Paul even in his difficult situation, it's not easy to be associated with a jail bird because Paul had a lot of enemies and a lot of enemies who wanted to kill him. If you link yourself to him, you're a target too. And so he didn't really care about that. He just went on and he did what he had to do. So this kind of brother you want in your family. This is the kind of brother you want in your, I'm calling it our family foxhole. When the bullets start flying, you want Tychicus with you because he's the kind of brother that's not going to run when the times get tough. How encouraging to have a Christian at your side when everything seems to be against you. And he did not take the easy way, but he did take the right way. And the right way is usually the hard way. And it's usually the way many times that you may walk alone. So he is a, a beloved brother. And then secondly, it says he's a faithful servant, meaning that he was a worker. He rendered dependable help wherever it was needed. And then it says also he was a fellow bond servant or slave in the Lord. A minister, in other words, who related in service together under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And remember, if you remember back when we were looking and discussing about bond slaves, bond slaves were, they were willing to give up their rights. They were willing to be defrauded. They were willing to endure hardship. They were willing to have no rank or titles. They were willing even to lose their life. And isn't it, 
that what happens when we become real Christians. We move from being slaves to sin to being slaves to righteousness because we are now enslaved to God, who is our good and loving master. So if we consider ourselves willing bond slaves of Jesus Christ, no matter what we are to do or wherever we are going to end up, there is certain behavior and demeanor for our earthly mission. And I, we already learned that Colossians gave three things, important things about bond slaves. Number one, bond slaves of Christ are to do their work with obedience. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 22, slaves in all things obey. And then bond slaves in Christ are to do their work from a single and a sincere heart, as it says in chapter 3 of Colossians, verse 23, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. And then a bond slave of Christ has an inheritance. Slaves really don't have an inheritance. Neither are they in the place to receive an inheritance. That is true. However, unless you are Christ slaves. Then it says in chapter 3, verse 24, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance is the Lord Christ whom you serve. So that means that as you go out and serve, as you go out and you become a bond slave, it is the inheritance that believers will receive a fair recompense for their faithful service, that the slave of Christ has an unceasing line of thought that looks past this earthly life with all its difficulties and looks beyond their immediate circumstance to the Lord and his reward. As Paul told the Galatians, therefore you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. So the promise of an inheritance for slaves transforms their status to those who are legitimate heirs in the household of God. That's a great motivation to keep going, to know that this life is not the end and the Lord has something for us, not only in this life, but in the life to come, an inheritance that we are to receive. And then back in Colossians chapter 4, notice his mission. His mission, it says in verse 8, for I have sent him to Caicus to you for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. So the message that was coming back from Paul was to encourage them, to lift them up, to comfort them. And so they were functioning as mailmen to the letter, bring the letter to the Ephesian church and the Colossian church. So Tychicus was this strong, faithful, dependable leader that made sure the mission was accomplished. That's the kind of person you want to dispel such important information like the gospel of Jesus Christ and how the gospel was doing things all over the place, not just in your local area. It was doing 
things all over the known world at that time. And that was very important information to know that the Colossians, their little community church, and the Ephesians' little community church, they weren't alone in this. This was happening all over the place. God was doing something. He was building his church, and he was using people like Tychicus to do it. And then a second letter carrier we notice in our text in verse number 9, chapter 4, is Onesimus. Now, Onesimus, who is he? He was a runaway slave. It says in verse number 9, And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number, they will inform you about the whole situation here. So this, the past character of Onesimus was dubious. He was unfaithful to his master and bolted to get his freedom. And he ends up, where does he end up? He ends up in prison right by Paul. Now, what a place to be, right? If you're going to end up in jail, be, end up in jail in a, a play, in a place with somebody like Paul, the apostle Paul. So that's where he ends up. So he has a runaway slave who belonged to Philemon and who had been won to Christ through Paul's ministry in Rome. I guess that's one place that um, when I was on an aircraft carrier uh, and I became a Christian in Rota, Spain, one thing that you know is there's not many places to go when you're at sea, you know? And so... When you have a Bible study, you really get locked in, and you, you spend a lot of your time studying the Word of God. And I thank the Lord for that. It was kind of like being in prison. Uh, there was nowhere to go. And, but I really got established in the basics of the faith there. And that, that always helped me just to continue to build on that. And so here we see Onesimus, who has a dubious past, meets Paul, and what does Paul say about him? He only could say this about him if there was a change in his character and demeanor that Paul recognized after coming to Christ. It says he's a faithful, he says in here, a faithful and beloved brother. So that means that he was trustworthy, he was, another way to say that, he was full of faith and that he was very much loved by the Apostle Paul. And then he says this, he's one of your number, meaning that at one time, none of us were part of the number of the Christian body, right? We were outside that number. Now we're in the number. And so Paul says, he wasn't one of your number, but now he's one of us. He's one of us. And so he not necessarily delivers the same information that Tychicus was delivering. He was delivering his own letter to his former owner. And so their mission together was to distribute information that encourages, encourages its recipients. And as it says in uh, the passage that I just read, and they will inform you about my whole situation here. Now, what was that whole situation? That whole situation was how he met, Phile- how he met Onesimus, 
and how he discovered where Onesimus was and that he was a runaway slave and that now he was incarcerated with Paul and a whole thing had to be done and put together. So Paul sent Onesimus back to his master with a letter to Philemon. And what was that letter? What did that letter say? Philemon, please receive him as I did. Please forgive him as I have. Please forgive him as God has. All right, now that could have been a very touchy situation. But if you would like to turn to Philemon, which is 1st 2nd Thessalonians, 1st 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon. All right, look there in Philemon. Of course, there's only one chapter, but it says in chapter 1, verse number 10 of Philemon, he says, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment. Now, that's, of course, language that Paul is saying. I'm the father, spiritual father of Onesimus. I share the gospel with him, and I begot him as a spiritual child. That's what he is saying to him. And he, he said, that happened in my imprisonment. Then in Philemon, verse 11, it says, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. And then look at verse 16 of the same chapter. It says, no longer a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. That's very interesting how he puts it like that. And we'll look at that when I get to Philemon. But today, we see that this is the situation. And Philemon is delivering the letter to his own master saying, listen, this is what Paul says about me. This is what happened to me. And here's all the evidence. So, of course, that becomes a very important thing. And in a very real, real way, we all understand what it means to be a slave at least a slave to sin, right? Where you are in bondage to your sin nature. That you, people say, free will, you know, your will's in bondage to what your sinful nature dictates. And so to be set free, not only physically, but spiritually is a important part of the Christian walk. So those are the ones that we see this morning who were mail carriers. And they were reliable, loving brothers in the Lord. The second thing that we'll notice this morning back in Colossians chapter 4, verse 10 and 11, three Jewish supporters, three Jewish supporters. I call them the encouragement squad. Not only could Tychicus and Philemon be part of that squad, but we have here, first of all, in verse number 10, Aristarchus. Aristarchus was Paul's traveling companion. He was a, also a fellow prisoner. Most likely, he was a prisoner with Paul in Ephesus and also in Rome. And he was definitely someone who was willing to suffer that with Paul. And it says in verse number uh, 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you greetings. So he was with Paul during the riot in Ephesus. And if you remember in that particular riot, as is recorded in the book of Acts, uh, it says that the whole area was filling with confusion and they rushed 
with one accord into the theater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. So he got dragged into this uh, situation in which people were rioting, and uh, of course that was in Ephesians that that happened, Ephesus that that happened in the Ephesian area, and and so what happened here that this this particular man was willing uh, to experience with Paul the most difficult times of ministry when you preach the gospel and hostility breaks out and you don't run for the hills, you end up getting dragged in uh, to jail. And of course, that all that worked out. And Paul was even held back from getting involved with that because they knew they would just probably just kill him and he wasn't ready to be killed. And then back in Colossians chapter 4, verse number 10, we see another person. Well, if you go down to verse number 11, I'm going to look at the next one first, justice, and come back to Mark because I want to spend some time with Mark and let you know who he is. But in verse 11 of chapter 4, it says, And also Jesus, who is called justice, these are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision, and they have proved to be, here it again is again, an encouragement to me. So again, these individuals have this demeanor of encouraging people. Now, not just by their words, but by who they are, by their conduct. And so justice uh, is the Greek form of his Jewish name, Jesus, and his Latin name, Justice, also means a soothing medicine. And so the word that we have encouragement in the passage here actually means to bring comfort or to bring a soothing environment. So it's a blessing to have Christians who have a proven comforting effect on people. And not for the purpose of self-gratification, but for the purpose, as it says here, for the growth of the kingdom of God. That means that this person must know what they believe. They must know what the mission is, and they must be faithful to that mission. And they also come into a group of people, and they comfort them. They encourage them. They prod them on to love and good works. So you have this whole squad of encouragement coming from Aristarchus and Justice uh, into the church at Colossians and Ephesians. And then we go back to verse number 10, and we see this. In verse number 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings. Also Barnabas's cousin Mark, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Now, All of us, from time to time, have experienced painful incidents, incidences, right, that in some ways changed us. And for some of us, it even altered the direction of our lives. But often, for Christians, it has been, it has in the end, let's say it like that, a time of serious spiritual growth and maturity in Christ's likeness. 
I don't know about you, but those events come into your life and you start taking things way more seriously than you ever have. And you begin to realize this is no game. Uh, this is something to be, this is the most serious life that anyone could ever live on this earth. And not only that, but I am actually responsible for other people. Not just as an elder or as a deacon, but just as somebody who is partic has participated in the gospel, you're responsible for the person next to you and the person in front of you and behind you. How you live, how your character and conduct comes forth. So, this painful incident that I'm going to mention from Acts chapter 15 that we read this morning shows us that all of us need much more work to be done on us in order for us to grow in Christ-likeness, in order for us to respond properly to things. And within the particular twisted twists and turns of life, and at the same time, while we're dealing with that, desiring to live in a manner which is pleasing to the Lord, both things going on at the same time. Well, if you just take your Bibles for a minute, turn back to the book of Acts, and I want you to notice some things that happen concerning Mark because Mark is an interesting character. I put him in the squad of encouragement, but I say this about Mark, delayed encouragement. Because he had to learn a lot of things before he actually can encourage people. Back in Acts chapter 15, notice in verse number 34, it says, But it seemed good to Silas to remain there and then... Acts 15, verse 35, but Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch, teaching and preaching with many others also the word of the Lord. After some days, Paul and Barnabas said, let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. So Paul just, and Barnabas want to go back to the other churches that they've already ministered in and see how they're, how they're doing. All right, now, notice in verse number 37 of Acts 15, it says, But, and Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them also. And then in verse 38, but Paul insisted that he did not want to take John, Mark, it says, but Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along. Who, why? Because he deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone back with them to the work. Now, I don't know about you, but that is very discouraging when something like that happens. And Paul, because really past performance reveals character, right? It serves as a basis for judging stability for future service. So, so Paul did not want to risk a reoccurrence of this failure to hang tough for the sake of the most important work on earth, of preaching the gospel and going back and strengthening the churches. So he decided that at this time, John Mark was not fit for the difficult task. He proved to be a quitter. Now let me refresh your, your memory concerning this past incident. It took place on Paul's 
and Barnabas' first missionary journey. And in chapter 13, you don't have to turn there, it says, Now Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga and in Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But going on from Perga, they arrived at Pisidia Antioch. So Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark had good ministry together on the island of Cyprus, and the Holy Spirit was directing them north toward Persinian Antioch, which is really modern-day Turkey, and about 150 miles by boat to the coast of Asia Minor. And then once they got off a boat, they were to travel through the most dangerous, rugged mountains of that region where it was known that notorious ambushes and bandits and robbers were there constantly. Now, Scripture tells us that the young assistant, John Mark, deserted Paul and went back home to Jerusalem. Now, it was clear, well, other considerations could uh, have caused him to leave the great work, but the word of God does not really tell us why he left. Some have speculated as to the reasons why he took off and went running home. Mark was young. His mother's house seemed to have been the center of the Jerusalem church. Paul and Barnabas took him with him on, on their first missionary journey, and Mark was a relative of Barnabas. And in the middle of the journey, he turned and hightailed it home. Now, it was one uh, commentator who ventured off into some speculation. And, and he, he said, well, why, why did he take off? Well, he says perhaps he was afraid of the proposed journey up into the plateau of Antioch, for it was one of the hardest, most dangerous roads in the world, and he knew it. All right, also, perhaps because he came from Jerusalem, he had his doubts about preaching to the Gentiles. Also, perhaps at the, this stage, he was one of those who are better beginning things than finishing things. Or actually, historically, the church father Christostom said long ago, he wanted, the lad wanted to go home to mommy. But whatever the reason was, he deserted. He deserted. And so what happened? Paul and Barnabas had a sharp disagreement right back in Acts 15, verse number 39, right? A sharp disagreement. Now, remember, these were not, Paul and Barnabas were not cheap men with hot tempers and razor tongues that easily spewed insults and bitter words towards each other. That's not what took place here. These are men who were controlled by the Holy Spirit and filled with wisdom and passion for the work of God to see the church expand and grow and be strengthened. And yes, both Paul and Barnabas were men of strong characters and convictions. In fact, Barnabas was known as to be the son of encouragement. Only this time their convictions were opposite and proved to be incompatible. 
And the only solution was separation from each other. That is what they agreed to do. But it also gives us a bit of a lesson here. It is possible for Christians to disagree with one another on certain things and to do it in a way that is honorable and that keeps the relationship intact. So it tells us in Acts 15, verse 39, and they separated from one another. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed to Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and left. So God doubled the workforce through this separation. Paul and Silas, uh, Silas took the place of Barnabas, not John Mark. Silas was faithful, proven to be a leader in the church. He was also a dispenser of divine revelation, known to be a prophet, and he knew how to handle the word of God. Barnabas, because he was the relative of John Mark and the man of uh, encouragement, son of, I think he was, he's mentioned in Scripture as to be the son of thunder too. They split company with each other, Paul, uh, and over good, uh, at least um, over this event. And it's possible, again, to agree and disagree without losing the, your testimony or your usefulness. So past history could disqualify you for present opportunities but it doesn't need to be like that. It is possible to overcome the stigma of past sins by living a holy life in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. So all of us are rescuable. There's no Christian needs to stay the way they are. It is not easy to overcome the title of deserter. Someone who leaves his post for no good reason. In fact, if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit of God's work of sanctifying each and every one of us, we could never be able to remove the stigma of our past, present, and future sins. Only God can do that. And, and keep you a testimony and keep you a significant participant in the gospel mission. So whatever happened uh, to Mark and Paul, we really don't know uh, what happened to Mark during this separation. He did go to Barnabas. Now, what we do know is that the Holy Spirit of God never stopped working on both of them, all of them, and he continues to sanctify and grow his children to bear the image of Jesus Christ. And even though flawed and weak and inconsistent vessels of baked dirt, like we all are, with remaining corruption, God continues to advance his church. So there is hope that each one of us are needed and useful for our master and savior, Jesus Christ. Tradition tells us that after this event, Mark kind of vanishes off the scene. At least we don't hear anything about him for some 20 years. It's a long time. Some sources say that he founded the church, a church in Alexandria and in Egypt. Uh, 
And there's one thing that, that is for sure, that the Holy Spirit of God moved from him from being a child to a mature Christian, from being someone who was useless to someone who was very useful. So that's why I say delayed encouragement, because you know what? That's a lot like us. I think Paul, I think Mark is a lot like us. We have those ups and downs and all arounds in the Christian life, right? And sometimes we back off and we're kind of like want to be invisible and we don't want to be involved anymore. You ever feel that way? We want to kind of just be left alone, all right? There's times that I've went through those times. I know you do too. But the Spirit of God don't leave you alone. He says, no, no, you need to get back into the race there, brother. You need to, sister, you need to get back in there, all right, and use your gifts because you are part of this group of people that are going to encourage other people to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if you look back to Colossians chapter 4, verse number 10, notice what it said here. It says here that Mark became a serious worker. It says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you greetings, and also Barnabas's cousin Mark, about whom you received instruction, if he comes to you, welcome him. Now, what was that instruction? Most likely that was instruction was, we all, everybody heard that Mark deserted me, but that's all changed. That's all changed. And the reason why is because nobody can fight a war alone. Even Mark could not fight this war alone. And it's ridiculous to even think that way as a Christian. To fight a battle which you intend to win, you need many, a, a really a multifaceted, loyal workforce who know their mission objectives and have counted the cost. And if we look back at Philemon, Mark became a synergistic worker, where it says there in Philemon, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you as do Mark. And then it says, my fellow workers. So it uses the word fellow worker for Mark. And that word in, in the Greek is really a word that we get synergism from, meaning a helper or someone who has learned to work together with other servants in order to get the greater work done, which is the gospel. So he learned to work together with other people. Now, this can give us a sense on what his problem was. He could have been a young man filled with pride, thought he knew better. And now... The Spirit of God leveled him off, and now he is profitable. And then if you'd like to take your Bibles, uh, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is a very interesting verse about him. Mark became a profitable worker. In 2 Timothy 4.11, it says, Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. So he, is not only, he not only became useful to Paul in his work, but to God and to the greater church. Even today, it's because of John Mark, who was used by the Holy Spirit of God to pen the gospel of Mark. 
And you know what the overall theme of the gospel mark is? Jesus Christ is servant. So he learned his lesson about being a servant from the greatest servant of all, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why he could pen such a verse as Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So by the grace of God, the man who once was a deserter, a discourager of believers, became a writer of the gospel and an encourager of believers, and at the end, Paul wanted him by his side. See, that could be at any one of us. Any one of us could have been any of these people. And I, I hope you saw some of yourself in one of them. But he ends his greeting want, wanting us to, to focus in on who these people were because we're just like them. We're just like these people. And so that means that all of us, if you can see yourself in one, any one of these characters, good or bad, because we are to be part of this group participation to the gospel mission, you are to do something for the Lord. And really the goal is to be an encourager, to be an encourager by your manner of life, to be an encouragement because it is your desire to please the Lord and become like Christ. And you want to allow people to see that, and you surely do not want to be a discourager because it's really easy to discourage people. And you know what? One way you do it, just by being inconsistent. You're not consistent with your coming and being regularly with believers. You're not consistent in serving the church body in some way with the use of your spiritual gift. You're not participating uh, and practicing a godly, holy lifestyle. You're just not dependable. That's got to change. And I believe the Spirit of God's going to change that. Because you know what? The greatest tool in Satan's toolboxes? Discouragement. In fact, I ran across this story. And the story went like this. It, it, was, it was titled, The Devil's Favorite Tool. And it went like this. I read once that the devil was having a yard sale. And all of his tools were marked with different prices. They were a fiendish lot. There was hatred and jealousy, deceit, lying, pride, all at expensive prices. But over to the side of the yard on display was a tool more obviously worn than the other tools. It was also the most costly. It was labeled discouragement. When questioned, the devil said, it is more useful to me than any other tool. When I can't bring it down, bring down my victims with any of the rest of these tools, I use discouragement because so few people realize it belongs to me. 
So let's not discourage each other. Let's encourage each other, and we do that by our Christian growth, our usefulness in the advancement of the gospel and the church, and our ability to be able to be a comfort to people and prod them on in a good way to keep serving the Lord and don't quit, right? We're in it for the long haul. Amen? Amen. Those are the first two groups. Next week, the next two. Let's pray. Lord, thank you this morning for the examples that were before us. Knowing, Lord, that in, in each one of these groups of people, we can see ourselves. We can see the flaws. We can see, Lord, the times that we wanted to desert. We wanted to step aside. Or we thought of ourselves as unusable because of something that happened in our life. But, Lord, we know by your spirit that you are making us like you. And, Lord, we want to give ourselves to that sanctifying process. We surely don't want to resist the spirit of God in this manner. But we want to be people, as Colossians says, to learn how to please you in all things, knowing that you are our master and Lord. And we want to be servants that are faithful. Servants that are dependable. Servants that are encouraging to others by our very conduct, our manner of life, by our very speech, and how we grow in Christ. And I pray that you would do that in every single one of us. So, Lord, the gospel mission is not hindered or left to just, just to a few to accomplish. And I pray this this morning. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, amen.